welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Dukari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> miles away. Oh, hi! Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. I think that's true. And my dear brother, Darren. I didn't know the cat was dead. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Dichotomy! Cats, 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 cats. Oh, right, okay. Address our ignorance. Undress our ignorance, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. I think I'd rather undress your ignorance with my eyes. Ben, you'd be a naturally saxophonist. A naturally, a natural saxophonist, as you say. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a natural saxophonist. (laughs) Darren! Oh, you cheeky bugger, you. What was in that dinner? Only fish, no chips, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Horus Heresy Part 7? part nothing we finished it last <laughs> last episode didn't we it was a two-parter oh and ben what was the closing scene in the horrors heresy um, that we covered last episode because it's probably still ongoing or the effects of it is probably still ongoing what was the closing scene what you mean when horace and the emperor had a a strumoosh no they had a fight <laughs> <laughs> isn't a strumoosh a fight isn't it? It's like yeah, a rocket. Stramash, you fool. Oh, Stramash. Stramoosh sounds yeah. better. But Stramash, yeah. Okay. Potato. So they had a bit of a ruckus. They had a bit of a pow pow. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, a pow pow. A pow is. No, I'm thinking of a pow. Then are you arguing okay. with yourself Moving again? On. You've got you've to stop doing that, mate. Just... <laughs> <laughs> right. So they had a bit of a put them up. And, um... well, they went skiing. What? <laughs> you, you, you've clearly never been skiing. Because <laughs> if you are, you're holding the poles wrong. Is there, I think you're holding the poles the way you normally hold them, mate, if you don't mind me saying. No, this is how I hold poles when I'm bukkakiing. I hold them the right way when I ski. No, they had a fight, and but they made up afterwards, and it was all good. Yeah, they yep. high-fived, didn't they? And it was all good. Yeah. They sports guy chest bumped. Yeah. <laughs> Decades of fighting and billions of lives lost. They just thought, you know what? Let's just put our differences aside and just be cool with the whole thing. Why not? Let's you know? all go over to chaos. How is that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, some of us have been here for a while. <laughs> so began the alternate ending to 40k. That's it. Frankly, Horace, I don't give a damn. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now we enter the final phase, the Horace Hugathon. Yeah. <laughs> no, so Horace got killed. The Emperor was mortally wounded. Mortally. Mortally wounded. Mortally wounded, uh, mate. Mortally wounded. He was fucking. He, he was not in a good way, like. And a um, sanguine. Before that happened, Sanguinius, who is the very attractive Primarch, or was the very attractive Primarch of the Blood Angels, was killed by Horus. And then the Emperor was got by. Is it Rogaldorn and someone else came to get him? Who was the other person? Uh, Valdor Constantine, the head of his custodies. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy. Big gold armoured dude. And then they got mm. him out and they brought him back to 
the throne where Malkador, the Sidgalite, was just basically a bag of bones now because he got fried because he used all his psychic energy. And I think that was it. That was where we are. Malkador, I don't remember that being discussed in the last episode. I remember Malkador kind of was the seated emperor whilst the emperor was like, keep my seat warm. I'm going up to that ship to fight Horus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he had to use all all his psychic energy to keep the webway gates shut. Ah, yes. And it it basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it short-circuited him and he he kind of was a bit fried. And then all the Chaos Marines were like, shit, all the like loyalist guys that weren't here are about to be here, including like the full strength Ultramarines. And they were like, guys. Yeah, uh, in their billions, yep. In their billions. 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 <laughs> there were me. trillions of them, quite literally. And they were like, they, I think we're outnumbered. Let's let's fucking boost. And so they fucked off. And then there was something called the Great Scouring, but we're not covering that yet. And I think that's where we were. Yeah. We'll cover that in more detail when we get to the Chaos Legions, but the Amazing. Um, the, the Scouring was where the Chaos Legions fled across the galaxy. Most of them headed straight for the Eye of Terror. And why, there was why a kind of... There? Why? Quick, we're in trouble. Let's go to the Eye of Terror? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. but, they, but they are... But they're bad. They're Chaos. So they the Eye of Terror is like the eye of safety to the... Right, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. to the other yeah, guys. Yeah, sure. Why not? I've clearly yeah, yeah. not explained the eye of terror in, in enough detail. Safety terror. is not a word you'd associate. <laughs> okay. But then if you're, yeah. if you're chaos, then it's probably, you know, it's probably quite welcoming to you, isn't it? Okay. To everyone else, it was the eye of terror. To the chaos legions, it was the eye of Trevor, their good pal who was just keeping yeah, okay, the flat cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. On a side note, I'm assuming some of them reached the Eye of Terror. The Eye of Terror is a rift into the warp. Were they able to then go into the warp? Like, do the Chaos Marines kind of go into the warp and do they maintain their corporeal form? Like, you know, Chaos Marines, do they go into like a spiritual format when they go into the Eye of Terror? No. Oh, okay. Um, the, 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 the Eye of Terror is like a, a bleed through of the warp. So it's a mix of corporeal, you know, the corporeal universe and a little bit of the warp mixed in. So very much like, like a, a marsh, blend. if you see what I mean. Like a, like a cocktail. Yeah, it's like a cocktail. Explain <laughs> that to me. Okay, so two parts <laughs> corporeal, three parts vodka, two parts warp. Oh, actually, yeah, that's that's. that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I'll sit down now, Ben. <laughs> uh, that was all great, but uh, there were also. I feel t- like you've got some questions. Uh, here they come. Brace oh yourself. Oh my god! Love bonus questions. We covered two significant battles, Ben. Last episode, what were they? Two significant battles pronounce one of them correctly fuck i actually i remember them but i'm not sure i'm going to remember the names so for people listening they're both looking at their screens uh-huh <laughs> i yes that would be handy if i took notes there was the massive battle that was bigger that had the higher death toll than all of the 
engagements in the Horus Heresy <laughs> combined. <laughs> that was amazing, Chris. You looked like that scene of Ace Ventura coming out of the rhino's arse. <laughs> For our listeners, Chris's cat Martha is just strutting in front of the camera. <laughs> it just looks awesome. <gasps> she does not give a fuck. Um, there was the ma- the massive battle where they had like the entire... There was just a lot of dudes. There was a lot of dudes. And the death toll ended up being something like 80% of the forces in that battle expired. On both sides, yeah. <laughs> On yeah. both sides. And it was the largest death toll. It was a, The toll was so great, it was more than all of the other engagements in the heresy combined. The Titan Death. The Titan Death is what it was called. Earth, Earth, Can you name the planetary system it was on? Peter Garman. Yes, Peter Garman. The also, interestingly, inventor of GPSs. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what I said. (laughs) No, but it is, that's the name of it, Peter Garman. So, um, Beta Garman. Garman? Beta Garman? Beta Garman, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. And what what was? Can you give me a clue for the second battle? I can't. Actually, that was the third. Sorry, I didn't scroll down enough. That was the third battle. So <laughs> one out of three. There was also. Let's speed this along. There was the Battle of Moloch or Moloch, and the Battle of Talarn as well. Oh yeah, yeah I remember both of those. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about the Battle of Moloch, Moloch, Ben? Which which house? Which legion? Fam clan? I don't know what you, what the term I, is. Yeah, I, you're confusing me with this house chat. House. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. House. Oh, okay. So there was one where the guys were the imperial forces were, uh, unbeknownst to them, were protecting the black oculus. Is that? Yeah, the blockulus. Darren's, Darren's <laughs> nodding. I think that was the ta- talic. Is it talic? I feel like the mollusk was the first battle that we covered, and the black oculus. Yeah, 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 what? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the mollusk, <laughs> the battle of the battle of barnacles of blue, blistering, bloody barnacles. Yeah, the battle there was a of mollusk. It was really slimy. <laughs> oh yeah, so the first one was Horace realized that there was one of the doorways to the webway. The entrance points to the webway was on a planet called Moloch, and that's where he and he and he managed to get into it. And he got some like psychic powers and shit. It was really great. He, loved he Ubered it. up, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there was the Battle of Talon, and yeah, where the Black Oculus was. Sweet. Okay. And that was being defended by human imperialists. And it was the Iron Warriors. I can't remember the name of the the leader oh, dude. Yeah. Oh, it was really unpronounceable. But we called him Peter. Oh yeah, Pertur 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 Perturbo. 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 Paterriabo? Something like that? I don't know. Paterriabo. Yeah, yeah. Peter Peter Garman. What? Peter Garman. (laughs) (laughs) He went to siege the planet to try and get this black oculus, dropped a virus bomb a la Horus, but the people (laughs) of Talon were wise to his hijinks, hid underground, and then the world's, sorry, the universe's biggest tank battle followed suit. Mm -hmm. That's right. Shitloads, at least seven tanks, I think, as Darren said. Yeah, at least seven tanks. Yeah, wow, that's a lot of tanks, man. I pew can. pew, and uh, it went from a lovely kind of verdant, civilized world to fire, to being on desert fire. planet. Yeah, yeah, to being on fire, to being 
Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Desert. <laughs> Death World. Yeah, yeah. That was such a patchwork of a recap, wasn't it? Fuck me. That's, yeah. Uh, but we got there. Where we got yeah. to, I'm not sure, but we got there. Uh, <laughs> we got there. Well, <laughs> that certainly happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, now that we've established whatever that was... Now we've deconstructed We're... Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. Let's piece it back together again. <laughs> yeah. So what the fuck is the crack today? So I thought what we do today and over the next six or seven episodes is have a look at what happens 10,000 years after the weekend at Burnied Malkador and put the Emperor in. <laughs> You have no idea how upset I am that neither of you know Weekend at Burnley. It absolutely dates me. Uh, I can sort this out, Chris. Don't worry, I've got this. Right, it's a film, Kral. It's a film. Um, Shut up. Yeah, no way. it was in 1989. American black comedy directed by a bunch of dudes. And plot. Oh, that's going to take a while. I think it's about a dead guy. Oh, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, he's dead. And I think it's two people pretending that he's not dead. Does that make Dara's comments any... Does that make any more sense, Kral? You've got a perplexed look on your face. (laughs) Oh, no, that's just your face. Let's just move on. (laughs) Let's just get on with the fucking episode, please. Let's just... Right, okay. (laughs) No, we're going to drag this out. (laughs) Fuck me. Uh, Yeah, so I thought what we'd do is have a look at over the next... Uh, six or seven episodes, what the kind of rough state of the Imperium is now that it's 10,000 years after the Horus heresy. So this is the present-day calcified Imperium of Man, which is effectively treading water on the edge of a black hole, figuratively speaking, and in some of the planets, literally speaking. So... We're going to look at what would you could broadly describe as the the bureaucracy of the Imperium today. So we're going to have a look at kind of five areas, all of which roughly, well, four of which fit roughly under one of them, and that one we'll look at now. So the Adeptus Terra <laughs> is, <laughs> so as we've covered before, the Adeptus Terra is the bureaucratic priesthood of the Imperium of Man. It, these are the managers and administrators of a galactic power. This is an organization that really, so the Adeptus Terra, while bureaucratic in nature, is really a priesthood. It's a a quasi-religious order, as pretty much everything is in the Imperium because the Emperor is viewed as a god and is able to intercede uh, on behalf of his loyal followers. As we shall see... Quick question. You said viewed as a god. Do you think he's a god? Yes, but only in the same way that the Chaos Gods are gods. He's a reflection the, of something in the warp. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay. And does he have does he directly intervene with people day to day to kind of show his godliness at all? He does, but not directly. He does it through interpretive dance. Okay. Yeah. Mime. <laughs> yeah. Mime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. If only Ben could do mime, we'd be spared so much. Um <laughs> the- Oh, I can. You've just never asked. <laughs> 
there's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, the emperor does intercede and manifest powers, usually in the form of visions or uh, effectively granting someone superhuman survivability uh, through kind of luck, if you see what I mean. They don't suddenly become Superman. They just, everything seems to work out for them uh, through happenstance. And that's seen as... He's a jammy bastard. Jammy bastard. We've mentioned before the uh, Emperor's Tarot, which is mm. a you know a, a, a fortune telling mechanism th- tied to the emperor or associated with the emperor, Mister Ben. I have I think I mentioned a part of the way through um, reading the June series at the moment, and I noticed that they they mentioned tarot a lot in that as well. Do you think that yeah. was a an idea that was kind of assimilated from the June series? I, I think there's very little copied over directly from June. <laughs> nod, nod. Listeners. <laughs> As I nodded furiously. <laughs> uh, ooh, I think I might have hurt my neck there. <laughs> the Adeptus Terra is divided into almost innumerable separate departments within their handling uh, every aspect you can imagine of humanity and its management. The kind of three biggest uh, and most well-known departments are the Departmento Munitorum, which is the logistical arm of the military kind of might of the empire. So these are the quartermasters of the Imperium of Man. So they're the ones that will assist with the commission of new kind of starships will arrange for the weapons to be delivered for the uniforms for the staffing and recruitment obviously uh, hand in hand not necessarily efficiently with the various arms and uh, wings of the military forces they really don't have much to do with either the the space marines the adeptus astartes or the the Adeptus Mechanicus, although they put in orders from the Adeptus Mechanicus and then ship those products out across the Imperium. So, yes, that you can imagine... They're operations, they're admin they're, they're the people you want to keep happy, they're the backbone, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, w- when I was in employment, the people you always wanted to keep sweet were your administrators. Like, they, they controlled everything. <laughs> Is the Adeptus Terra predominantly administrative? It's almost exclusively administrative, but the word administrative, you can take a view on certain aspects. Like It's directly administrative in terms of running things. It's also, there's a couple of departments, we'll cover one briefly, which kind of administers the kind of moral well-being of the uh, human race. Really? protects against the, how would you describe it, corrupting influences. Interesting. Terra HR. <laughs> Amazing. Very much, actually, I... do you know what? You could view this department as being the HR reps that are sent out. Literally, humanity resources. Yeah, uh, yeah. And these are the ones that kind of investigate large crimes and uh, prosecute you know, defensive actions or offensive actions on behalf of humanity uh, and answer directly to 
well, arguably answer directly to the emperor himself through the various... I bet there's a Cathy that works in that department. Not only is there a Cathy, I can guarantee you two Susans and a Barbara. <laughs> and a Carol! Mm. Oh. <laughs> Carol! It goes without saying. <laughs> and that is, of course, the Adeptus Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> the Adeptus Pepe. I, th- these sound like a kind of glimmer of hope in, in this dark grim dark future uh, I swear well, to god if you well, tell me that it's this actually the inquisition i'm gonna just kill myself now it is the inquisition the <laughs> are you joking uh, departmental investigators or investigators these are the uh, inquisitors uh, there's other things that come under that umbrella but in general it's the uh, inquisition is technically in quotes technically part of the adeptus terra they have a, a there's an inquisitorial repre, uh, representative that sits on the high lords of Terra. These are the twelve uh, lords that uh, manage the. This is like the board of directors for the human race, the Imperium of Man, and they uh, answer in some way. They answer to each other because there's a constant threat of assassination and uh, from each other from each department, but also from their underlings, with people trying to take over new positions or the existing positions and get the seat on the on the council. At the big table. A seat at the big table. I mean they take mm-hmm. I mean they take social distancing quite seriously, especially when everyone mm-hmm. has rings that can fire out lasers and flamethrowers and stuff. That's it. Uh, Always so- sit two solar systems apart from one another. <laughs> yeah. Especially when dealing with COVID fifty seven. Yes, absolutely. COVID, yeah, yeah. COVID 57K. What? <laughs> <laughs> A full 17K more. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so the Department Munitorum, these are, as I say, the quartermasters of the Imperial military. So that includes the, uh, the Imperial Guard, the Astra Militarum, as it is now known. So that's the untold billions of soldiers in the conventional army that the the imperium has so everything that you would need to equip a soldier to be ready to fight is what the munitorum is supposed to do but but in actuality uh, what do they do well it's, the, it's one of these ones where it's the it, it's their efficiency is not exactly perfect the as with the rest of the adeptus terra they're prone to corruption and um, you know empire building within the departments, and you know if you're able to blackmail a couple of the representatives above you, you can have your agenda set so your army can get all the first will get the first pick of all the resources and the potential allies that can be had, and another campaign will kind of falter and fail because of that. So there's. Uh, not only is there constant warfare in Warhammer 40k, there's kind of internecine political warfare within the Imperium as everyone's trying to get the resources they so desperately need. But it, it, quite simply, there's not enough to go around. It's it's very much just like a big a, a corporate a corporation which is just too big, you know. Yes, it's exactly you know, right. They, they just they, they sound like they have grievances internally. It's a very toxic. Working environment, you know, and almost everyone is armed. 
<laughs> and almost everyone's got a gun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as a result, there's not a huge number of disciplinary hearings. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, t- they tend to resolve that before then. Yeah. Uh, we have a one-strike policy and out. <laughs> yeah. So just stand over by this wall here. Yeah. So this priest is going to one-strike you with a power maul. <laughs> Why is there blood all over this wall? <laughs> So the Department Munitorum, as I say, deals largely with all the kind of military aspects, uh, requisition, supply, that kind of idea. You then have the Departmento Administratum, which deals purely with the administration of the Imperium. So these are the file clerks. These are the record keepers. These are the accountants. So they're the ones that set the, the Imperial tithe. So each planet is assessed and not only for its local resources, the ones that can be extracted from that planet and populace, but also for its uh, s- systemic system-based resources. So the solar system for each planet is taken into account what else can be brought out there. And then the sector and region kind of requirements are established. And then they're able to set a tithe level for each planet. Now that can be so obviously, a lot of uh, agricultural worlds, their tithe is in the form of food, grain stuff, livestock, that kind of idea. And they may have to produce X billions of tons per month or per year. And the tithe fleets then come around, supposedly every year, but in general, it's between two to 10 years. So you better have two to 10 years worth of produce uh, ready to pay your taxes. Wow. How do you keep produce fresh for that long? Are you saying like... Huge freezers. Like, and I'm not being facetious, like freezers the size of cities, entire complexes of Mm. preservative factories to store food. But that's just food. You then obviously have uh, people need... Everything you think can think of some planet is tithed to produce that either exclusively or in conjunction with the other products. You've got like a frying pan planet, you know? Yeah. Or like a- You'll have cooking utensil planets. You'll have planets <laughs> that have to produce shoes. The hair dryer planet. A hair dryer planet. Uh, to be fair, with hair dryer planets, you basically you just get in a land speeder and stick your head out the window. <laughs> and they pretty much directly supply Quiff Planet. <laughs> nope, not touching that one, Benny. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks, I appreciate buddy. it. But uh, it's not so. It's not just the taxes. They also look at things like census data to get an idea of the population, because every planetary governor, as we've said before, is required to have a defense force. They're expected to be able to defend the planet in the name of the emperor. And from that planetary defense force, uh, entire regiments can be lifted out and trained up to be in the Imperial Guard. So you can suddenly, one year, they'll say, okay, you now need to supply two regiments every year. So they really start to ramp up training and conscription and it gets very authoritarian incredibly quickly if it's not already authoritarian what um where does the tithe go like does most of it go back to terra or is it distributed to other parts of the the empire where it's needed or the sorry the imperium where it's needed 
It's distributed within, usually is distributed within a sector. So within right. a, a, okay. a large kind of area of space that has perhaps a couple of thousand systems within it. So we've mentioned... Local produce, keeping it regional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. keep yeah. it regional. Yeah. Keeping it organic. Farm to table, exactly right. Yeah. These sausages from Istvan 5, don't you know? <laughs> it's Istvan 5. <laughs> The, the, no, you know, no one takes fresh, produce from his fan five. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a super fine. fresh veg that's only been in you know transit for seventeen years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yummy. Moloch mollusks. Mmm. But yeah, we've mentioned before the planet Necromunda, which is a hive planet, a hive world, and these are oh, yeah. the cities. Each city houses roughly a billion people. In, in one large conglomeration that uh, looks like a cone that's five miles high. They have no arable land whatsoever, so they need to import enough food every day or regularly enough to feed you know, 50 to 100 billion people. We've mentioned also that in these hive worlds, there's a thing called corpse starch, which is where the dead are rendered down into a basic protein, which is then soylent greened back into the population. It's basically... So there is... Cannibalism? Um, you could take that view, but once it's rendered down to the molecular level, can you really call it human anymore? I see, okay. So, so is the food directly made from that render, or is it used to like fertilize soil, which is then growing stuff? No, it's, it's turned into food. Right, okay. Right. Chocolate bars, Haribo. <laughs> Chocolate bars. Corpse Haribo. <laughs> no, unfortunate. It's even worse than that. It's jelly babies. Literally jelly babies. <laughs> In the shape of the humans that they actually were previously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the horrified face, like Han Solo and Carbonite. In miniature, <laughs> yeah, made of yeah. gelatin. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. This one looks like daddy. <laughs> Jelly babies should totally do a, a like a, a limited edition range of Star Wars <laughs> Jelly Babies and Solo Jelly Baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Jabba the Hot Worms. Oh no, the worm from Empire Strikes Back, the one that's in the asteroid. Never mind. Oh yeah, wrong IP. So <laughs> there's you know anecdotally there's a million planets in the Imperium of Man. So you can imagine the intersystem trade is a huge part of that. And we'll cover that in a, in a little bit. It's worth mentioning here that the, that the Adeptus Terra only kind of managed base humanity, as it were. They, they do oversee an enormous amount of uh, administration and trade and taxation and census taking and record keeping. They're the ones that receive signals for requests for aid, this kind of idea, as we've mentioned it, I think, in the first or second episode. Which they respond to in a timely fashion. Uh, comparatively so, yes. They do have quite close relations, as I've said, with both the, uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus, principally because these are the, um, uh, this organization produces the engines of war and the weapons of war. They're almost, almost anything quite complex, anything above like a LAS gun is in general produced by 
a, a forge world. This is the uh, world-sized factory of the Adeptus Mechanicus. This then is paid for, collected by the tithe fleets of the Adeptus Terra, and then that stuff is then sent out to, or the products are earmarked for specific war zones or regiments or indeed space marine chapters. Are the cult mechanicus paid? There's a mixture of tithe, but payment in kind of kind, like... Access to STCs? Th- that kind of idea. Exposure. Yeah, yeah. exposure, yeah. That, that's what everyone <laughs> gets paid for. Or gets paid yeah, in. but then you'll be able to tell everyone that you make like weapons for like you know what I mean the Imperium. <laughs> you'll get loads of business from that, won't you? Yeah, all right yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah you sure. can put it on your business card. That's going to be hilarious to the four web designers and two uh, graphic designers that are on our <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, you can relate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you have to pay for this. The bank says it doesn't take exposure to cover my debt. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much uh, alliances and uh, kind of benefit of the doubt with the Mechanicus. There is some instances of them receiving payment in the form of access to uh, STCs an that are discovered. Job. And a, a very, very aggressive bionic hand job. <laughs> <laughs> Pneumatic. <laughs> Crowd, you have thought about this. I'm sorry, did anyone else clench there? What'd you say? <laughs> oh. uh, currency. One is, is there actually like uh, yeah, the imperial uh, a, credit. a currency in circulation? Yeah. The imperial credit. Okay, and that is universal also through. Also known yeah, as. Yeah, but there's, there's only one of them. There's one credit. No, it's just handed around. Yeah. yeah. You get a decimal you get a decimal point of it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> One Wafferson credit. <laughs> oh, you got that reference. Oh yeah, great. We kind of burned huh? crumble crumble. <laughs> yes, the third one we we start to touch on, which is the Inquisition. And uh, we'll deal with them fully as they're a, a kind of tabletop faction for the game. But these it's the Spanish Inquisition writ large. These are the ones who have kind of three branches. The Ordo Malus, which deals with um, uh, demon, demonic incursions and the forces of chaos. You've got the Ordo Hereticus, which deals with heresy against the laws of the Imperium or against the spirit of the laws of the Imperium. So these are the ones that deal largely with rebellious governors, mutants, that kind of idea. Uh, and then the third one, I've completely forgotten. This is quite—it's quite broad, isn't it? Like the, it's like the, <laughs> yeah, rebellious governments and mutants. Yeah, the, the spirit <laughs> oh, of the laws okay. of the Imperium. No, actually, let's let's go further. It's the idea. We we are against people that are against the idea of the spirit of the laws of humanity. That leaves <laughs> us pretty open, right? Well, we're I the mean, people's front of Judea. That, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Does that, <laughs> we're the Judean's people's so front. does that mean that our individual members can virus bomb entire planets? Yep. Okay, great. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, the Ordo Malus dealing with chaos, the Ordo Hereticus dealing with heresy and traitors and mutants, and then the Ordo Xenos, that deal with aliens, that deal with uh, alien incursions and alien pirates, the orcs, the Eldar, the Tau, and so on. So those are the those are the kind of three what are referred to as the Ordo Majoris. So these are the major 
organizations or subdivisions within the Inquisition, but then you have a lot of minor or there's ordo minoris, which deal with minoras. Yeah. With minotaurs. Minotaurs. But these are like the the for instance, Ordo Kronos, which deals with uh, time anomalies uh, within the Imperium. Oh, cool. We'd mentioned previously about some ships going through the warp and coming out either in the future or actually in the past. We cited wow. the the case of the Inquisitor Ravenor who travelled into the past. Uh, these are the agents of the the Inquisition that investigate and, in general, kill everyone involved um, so that they don't have to deal with the paperwork. Oh, I see. Okay, right. There's no other reason. Like, there isn't some... It's not like the the grandfather paradox that will, like, bring reality to its knees if a ship leaves. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm being facetious, yes. That's, oh, I mean, okay. they're, they're dealing with all existential threats to the Imperium of Man. Right. So all the mysteries, all the aliens, the traitors, and the forces of evil, in quotes, that's what they... So like the NCIS of the Imperium. <laughs> wow! Oh, no, hold on, that's Miami. <laughs> <laughs> what one's that? That's Miami, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Ratio. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone get your shades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're about to be CS. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do they actually under this Ordo Cronus, who don't deal with just old women, they deal with time? Do they understand what the fuck it is that they're dealing with, or do they just like? Is it just? Well, we don't know about that. It's we'll just move that onto the bad shelf, and they just kill everything. Or do they actually understand what the fuck is going on when somebody time travels backwards? It, it's really what they're He's trying to... It's a witch! It's a witch. They're recording and trying to look at the kind of ramifications of time travel through the warp. Uh, either directly side by side, you know, present day where you're occupying the same space uh, at the same time, uh, or the same aspect of reality at the same time or traveling into the past and perhaps corrupting or uh, traveling back in time and changing the logical kind of flow of time and events through the imperium so really it is yeah it's the nope it's ncis yeah csi it's csi miami (laughs) wow Uh, so they haven't actually like they they don't have the ability to time travel. It's just a phenomena that occurs when using the warp. Yes. There is an aspect of the kind of more esoteric events within the Imperium, specifically related to the uh, the Legion of the Damned, which are the kind of loyalist demon space marines of the Imperium, which we will cover separately there's some thought there that they might be either translating back from the future or the spirit of 
warriors from loyalist warriors from the Horus Heresy come forward. Wow, that's the type of thing they investigate. There are other organizations investigating the Legion of the Damned. Don't send me an email. I have no interest. (laughs) 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 The only other organization that the Adeptus Terror really has any regular contact with is the Ecclesiarchy. Now, Ecclesiarchy, the space Catholics, are the ones that truly worship the emperor as God. And so they actively promote this and proselytize uh, his divinity. They are, how would you describe it? They are... Mental? Uh, let's just say earnest in their belief and their capacity to take that belief out on anyone who doesn't cooperate with them. So they are the devoutly religious... Unreasonable. They yeah, sound unreasonable. They're the devoutly <laughs> yeah. uh, religious aspect of humanity, whereas while the emperor is viewed as a god, the Adeptus Terra is to some extent secular. They deal purely in the realm of reality and the day-to-day, whereas the Ecclesiarchy uh, is only concerned really about expanding their own corporeal power, or sorry, temporal power, and uh, what happens to people when they die. That is not to say that there are not organizations within the Adeptus Terra that work uh, hand-in-glove with the Ecclesiarchy. Uh, the Inquisitors of Ordo Hereticus uh, work very closely with the uh, Ecclesiarchy because those are the kind of fanatical warriors, the sisters of battle, um, who can be called upon to defend the kind of spiritual honour of the human race uh, and to deal with the heretics and the mutants and the psychers uh, who are an affront to the, the emperor's kind of holiness. So it's kind of one one order deal with the threat externally and one deal with the threat internally. Is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So it's really like the, there was a, a role-playing game called Dark Heresy. And in their second edition, they had three expansion books, three supplements. And they dealt with um, the enemy within, the enemy without, and the enemy beyond. So the enemy within are heretics, the enemy without are xenos, the aliens, uh, and the enemy beyond are the demonic and the chaotic and the cool. evil. Yeah, uh, and those really are really cool. good like books that. if you can get your hands on them. They've been out of print a good while, but uh, you can get the PDFs of them on a thing called Drive Through RPG. That's where the, a lot of those books still exist, as, and you can get them as PDFs. They're worth a read as well. So really, that's it for the Adeptus Terra. It's the kind of, it's a monolithic organization that kind of bounds the Imperium of Man in terms of logistical capacity and the the defense of that capacity, the defense of the Imperium in terms of both military might or supplying the military might, the equipment they need, and also policing the Imperium uh, with regards to the Inquisition. Mr. Chris. And, and was this the Emperor's vision? Did he deliberately set up all of these different departments in order to have the Imperium that he envisioned having? 
Or did these things just kind of grow organically? There were just these fanatical religious types that became the adeptus, ecclesiarchy, sorry. And they kind of, well, they have their uses for the emperor, so they may as well stake around and I might just, you know, utilize them in, in, in ways that benefit me. It's a, that's a fantastic question. The Imperium, as it stands today, 10,000 years after the emperor's ascension, to the golden throne that that's what him taking he got his ass handed there. to him is that what they say he got his ass handed to him by horus <laughs> uh, well yeah. you wouldn't you you yeah, could yeah. think it but then even then no he ascended there's no you can't Shut have up. any expression on your face <laughs> that anyone could question it is the imperium is not what the emperor wanted it is not what he envisaged he envisaged a, a completely secular empire of mankind with the capacity mm. to use the webway to go anywhere and ultimately to divorce humanity from the warp completely so that they would be so they would become is it incorruptible uncorruptible decorruptible yeah I chaos know. would yeah, not, not have any hold yeah. over them and so that mm. he could mm. uh, live effectively eternally as the emperor and the human race could evolve and be safe mr ben how did the ecclesiarchy and other bodies that believe the emperor is a god justify doing so when they know that in the emperor's lifetime he was very outspoken about any sort of organized religion and you know went so far as to punish one of his own genetic sons um, because he broke those those rules or is it just so long ago that they forgot about it no, the seeds of all of this stuff, the seeds of all of these organizations were sown during the Horus heresy. Uh, to to uh. finish answering Chris's question, the Imperium as it stands now is a stalemate. It's his, the Emperor's vision to keep chaos at bay while the Imperium uh, grows and expands and humanity evolves. I think we'd said last episode that he knew he couldn't win without decimating humanity. So at the, the, mm. the best he could hope for is to stop the other force from winning. So it, it, it's, okay. it's a constant fight for defense. That's what the Imperium is. They're constantly fighting a stalemate right. without advertising to the rest of humanity that that is in fact what's happening. There's a very real view you could take that the Horus heresy hasn't actually ended. I mean, Horus is gone, mm. yeah, but his chief lieutenant is keeping it going. The Primarchs, almost all of them now are demonic Primarchs, the traitor Primarchs. They still exist. We're now starting to see within the lore existing Primarchs coming back in. You know, obviously, Rabuti Gilliman is alive and well and is the regent of the Imperium. He's the kind of second in command. And now we're seeing with 10th edition uh, at time of recording that the Primarch of the Dark Angels is now back. The Lion L. Johnson. I'm back, I'm baby. Back, baby. <laughs> is it me you're looking for? Is it me? <laughs> That's Lionel Richie, Ben. That's Dancing Lionel on Richie. the snow. <laughs> also known as Lionel uh, Johnson. Also known as Lionel Richie. So there were some kind of movers and shakers during the heresy that 
envisaged or realized that the emperor does have divine aspects and that's when those seeds of he is a god uh, and the fact that he denies it reinforces that he's a god you just you can't win with fictional religions but then wow. it's also when the gray knights the demon the demon fighters the demon hunters were set up it's when the seeds of the inquisition were sown uh, a lot of these organizations uh, that we kind of know and love today in 40k have come to or that's where they were born two questions uh, so it's where a lot of these groups and societies were made and molded and formed but actually the horus heresy wasn't that wasn't the tale the law of the horus heresy didn't that come after all of these elements were already kind of in place and the horus heresy then came was introduced as a way and this is how all this happened because of the horus heresy i think a lot of the adeptus terror it was like a prequel yeah the adeptus terror was in place the bureaucratic mm. mechanism to manage an expanding imperium of man were already there. What we're seeing now is that the end of the Horus heresy, everything kind of calcifies. There's no real change mm -hmm. unless there's a monumental fucking war. So things work a way they do because they have always worked that way. When technically it really only started during the Great Crusades, you know, 10 and a bit thousand years ago. So you're maintaining a system and there's no real innovation. There's there's no desire to do things sure, a better way sure. because we've been told that this is the way the emperor envisaged it, where in fact it isn't. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it, or rather, that was not his original plan. Yeah. And uh, my last, my second question was, uh, the emperor is still conscious at this point, but he's kind of incapacitated, almost in stasis, if you like, just being maintained in the throne room at this point, 10,000 years after the yeah. the end of the Horus Heresy. In the mechanism. So fully aware, fully conscious. No, we don't know, is the honest answer. Oh. So the mechanism... He could be comatosed. Yeah. The golden throne originally was a throne that he sat in. Sure. But over time, a mechanism had to be constructed not only to maintain his physical body, but also be able to feed his soul, to feed his psyche. And that's where you get the kind of consumption of psychers comes in. Right. It could look like, it could still look like a throne room, certainly in all the propaganda, in quotes, that's what it looks like. It could also look like the heart of a nuclear reactor where you can't actually see him at all. He's encased in layer upon layer of kind of protective material and stasis fields and, 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 uh, but they're still feeding him. Right. If they stopped feeding him, would he die a proper death? Uh, I suspect what would happen is his spirit would descend into the warp and he would be reborn as something. But you're saying that actually no one knows what the current state of the emperor is but people believe he is being kept in stasis he's being kept alive one way or another in yeah. the throne room in bunny ears um and in order to keep him going that we need to keep throwing souls at him and psychic energy and sacrificing a lot of our own humans to keep him sustained but actually there's nothing to say that that is actually true uh... Yes. This is just happening, and we've been told it's because it's, yeah. we need to keep the emperor alive. But actually, there's no there's no solid evidence of any of this happening at all. 
there's there's really one piece of evidence that he's his spirit still exists there and it's a it's actually a handy segue because it was the bit I was going to talk about next You're the only welcome. thing i would add to this conversation before we move on is in recent novels uh, in the lore it's been revealed that the golden throne is actually failing and no one knows how to fix it they also don't know how fast it's failing they don't know if the kind of errors they're seeing, is that two seconds before it fails or is it now still a decade away? But we're talking about an emperor, an, an empire that's lasted, you know, well over, well, nearly 11,000 years. So 10 years before failure, that, that, that's a heartbeat in the, in the terms of the Imperium of Man. Before you do that segue... Um, so, you know, for instance, with the uh, Games Workshop's other IP, um, Fantasy Battle, or now to be re-released, The yeah, Old World, the old world. it was yeah. the, a section of that, a sub-story, a subsection of that, was the end times where they actually concluded the story. Um, I know that they've obviously, they're still developing the story of 40k. Do you think they'll ever get to a point where they provide some sort of conclusion, or do you think it's more open-ended than... It was all a dream. <laughs> it was all a dream. <laughs> In the brain of a space frog. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the idea that you just proposed there, the, the, that you mentioned that they have covered in recent novels that the, the Golden Throne is failing. Do you think that's them setting up to kind of explain, to kind of release the next section of the story? Uh, yes, I think there's going to be significant narrative changes. I think the setting will still exist. They're not going to explode the setting like they did with Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. Uh, you have to bear in mind as well, there were business reasons why the yes. Warhammer Fantasy was shut down and then turned into Age of Sigmar. That doesn't really apply to Warhammer 40k because it's so fucking popular. There is no shortage of people buying it. Fantasy Battle at the end really constituted about 5% of the company's turnover. Where's fucking 5% though, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. In terms of that narrative <laughs> development, like, do you think it could, you know, could we see some like major shifts in narrative? Major, uh, we, we've already seen control. some. We've already, we saw with the eighth edition that the galaxy got cut in half. Right, right, with right. the uh, the Great Rift, so we now have Imperium Sanctus. So that's the half with the Emperor on it, and Imperium, the Dark Imperium, Imperium Nihilus, which is on the far side, which is uh, led at the minute by Commander Dante. So he's the kind of Imperial ambassador. He's in charge right. of the Ferrero Rocher of the Dark Imperium. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I don't think I. They're not going to detonate forty k at all. No, no, no. I just think like I'd love to hear more about you know what happens to the the emperor. Like, does he just fucking disappear and then get? He just comes back reborn as a badger. Uh, no, no, fuck your badgers. He comes back as an <laughs> even angrier Chuck Norris. Yes. <laughs> And kills two stones with one bird. It turns out yeah. the Golden Throne was a metaphor, and we're all the Golden Throne. The Golden Throne is within each and every one of us. And what we need to do, we're all the Emperor. We've all got the power to make change. Is and there blah, a way to blah, turn blah, off blah, his microphone? Blah, blah. 
<laughs> Shut up, you space hippie. <laughs> Be the ball, guys. Be the ball. Imagine a place at the end of the world. Imagine a little paradise full of tremendous landscapes and screaming. Imagine feeling like the whole galaxy is yours. Breathe deeply, then let your breath be taken away by the warp energies and the nightmares. Now imagine the people that live here. Well, sort of people. Demons, really. And Chaos Marines. But Chaos Marines with stories. With their hearts and arms wide open. Carrying their enemies' entrails. The warp is just like its people, just like its landscapes. A living, breathing hell. Book your holiday today. Search Eye of Terror forward slash spiritual shitstorm. So the evidence that the Emperor still exists is bound within the giant psychic lighthouse of the Astronomicon, which is a, a kind of spherical construction within which kind of the most powerful human psychers are kind of baby bjorned on the walls. Uh, and they just kind of hang there. They're in chairs, but um, they're, they're kind of strapped, all pointing towards the central kind of uh, area from which the beacon itself is blasted out into space. I beg your pardon. It's staffed by 10,000 astropaths. These are, if you recall, these are the human walkie-talkies that allow communi interstellar communication through kind of omens and visions and metaphor. Um, I think as we had <laughs> discussed previously, they're absolute dog shit on a night out because you can never get a straight answer out of them for what yeah. they want to drink. The owl flies to the tree. <laughs> what? Yeah. Is that a Guinness? What? Uh, the <laughs> So there are 10,000 of, 10, of these motherfuckers within the kind of, not just the sphere, but the kind of uh, ancillary buildings or ancillary areas of the Astronomicon. Up to a thousand of them die every single day. And so wow. there's a constant stream of incredibly powerful psychers that come into the, uh, the kind of auspices of the Astronomicon. And they are quite literally swapped out like light bulbs and most of them last a few months at most because of the the effort the mental strain that's required now the beacon serves really as i said as a triangulation point for uh, traveling through the warp because it is a magical in quotes a psychic uh, manifestation they're able to see it within the warp when they travel now the beings that see this, that can look directly at it, are what's referred to as navigators. These are human mutants. Uh, I had referred to them previously as psychers, uh, but they are human mutants who have been gone through a eugenics program to augment their mutation, which, which centers on an eye in the center of their forehead. And this is the organ 
that allows them to see the the warp beacon. Every ship that's capable of warp travel has a navigator on it. Each navigator belongs to a, one of innumerable houses, like clans, and they're referred to as the Navis Nobility, Navis Nobility, and they're led by uh, what's referred to as the Paternova. He's the head of the navigators, uh, and these are uh, a, a group of people who generally are paid for their service, again, in some fashion. They're fantastically wealthy and really are, you know, if they decide not to help you, you're kind of trapped in your system. Mr. Chris. A uh, couple of questions. Astropaths, are they aware and are they willingly volunteering, or maybe not being volunteered, maybe they're being paid handsomely or their families, to be plugged into the Astronomicon, to be sucked dry and then cast away like a light bulb? Well, are they enthusiastic about it? Are they like bloody like fanatics or something like that? And all they want to do is be... Um, yeah, it's, it, I suspect the answer is no, because they have to be hunted down. Mm. Part of the kind of galactic tithe that's imposed by the Adeptus Terra and the Inquisition, really especially, is each planetary governor is required to capture and hold any psyker that's born on their planet or within their sphere of uh, influence or control. These then are collected by what's referred to as the black ships. Uh, these are ships specially designed to hold and nullify the abilities of human psychers and then transport them to Terra, in general, mm -hmm. directly to Terra. Some, uh, en route, they are tested. The weaker ones tend to find themselves either with a bolt gun round in the back of their head or floating in space or both. Of those that survive, the vast majority go on to become astropaths. So they will either be assigned to the Astronomicon or will be gifted as part of the, you know, include your planet in the Imperium. It's going to be part of the Imperium presence on a given world. And they're used, in general, they're used by the planetary governor alone to communicate directly with Terra through the kind of human walkie-talkie through visions. Now, do supremely powerful ones, if they're not completely insane and if they're young enough, end up in two kind of distinct areas? The one is space marine chapters. They can be sent in, if they're 12 years old or younger, can be sent to a space marine chapter to undergo indoctrination and organ transplant and become a space marine librarian. Um, the and other have option, venom things put in their mouth that they can spit venom. Yeah. Yes, right. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So don't forget that bit. <laughs> and also, don't forget the eating the brain to absorb the last memory. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. that just go, that goes without yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was implied. It was implied. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. Venom brain eating. Yeah. The most powerful and suitably young enough psychers are sent to the Inquisition to become to be trained up as inquisitors. As they, as inquisitors, yeah. Yeah, they live their they live their life under constant threat of execution. But to be fair, 
every other astropath does as well, every other psyker. Some of the psychers, so you get this vast group of psychers arriving on Terra. All of them are assessed further, and those that don't make the cut are simply killed on the spot, usually in the landing area from where they've come. So you can imagine arriving in a new area. Pushed off the side. (laughs) (laughs) Pushed off the side with a chainsaw. Um, (laughs) Those that make the cut are taken to an area adjacent to the Golden Throne where they are soul-bound with the Emperor himself. So they they go through a process where their soul is touched by an aspect of the Emperor's soul. This burns out their retinas. They're all psychers who are not librarians or space marine librarians or inquisitors or renegade or chaos evils are blind. Mm. But they do kind of get a sense like the matrix, you know, where you've got the the stuff falling down. They, They have a kind of ethereal vision. They can see that with the third eye. No, that's the navigators. We're talking about psychers. And so of those psychers that survive the soul-binding process with the Emperor, because not all do, uh, the ones that don't are desiccated, and it's from them we get the psych-out ammunition and grenades, which is the kind of anti-demon ammunition. Yes, of those that make it, most go on to become light bulbs in the Astronomicon, but a great many of them also go on to become Primaris Psychers, which are the kind of psychic officers within the Imperial Guard. But these are lesser Psychers than Space Marine Psychers, and there isn't a single one of them that doesn't end up being shot by a commissar in the Imperial Army. Um, (laughs) So it's really, it's cake or death. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, navigators—they are mutants with psyker-like abilities. So the navigators keep their third eye covered at all times until they are required to look at the warp, right. uh, look for the astronomicon. In general, if you look—if you are a normal human who looks at a, a navigator's third eye—you go blind then insane and then have your soul blasted from your body all within a fraction of a second but in that order wow holy shit just by looking wow just by looking at it's rude isn't it you never look at another man's third eye (laughs) can does it have to look at you or can like could it just be like looking off into the sunset and you're just at the side and you look at the side of it Oh, do you know what? I don't know. I think even if you get a glimpse of it in a reflective surface, you're fucked. Wow. Holy moly. I did have another question. It was just it was just, it was more of a comment, really. Yeah. It's it's, it's peculiar that um uh, on the ship you need a navigator in order to navigate when the astronomicon itself, although it uses psychic energy, it is a device. It's a uh, broadcasting machine, right? So some yes. sort of uh, a receiving machine on the ship would be really useful, but not knowing the science and secret source of psychic abilities, maybe you need a biological being to be able to see that energy. But uh, still, it just seems odd that you've got a broadcasting receptacle, but nothing to receive that broadcast signal. 
in, in, in a mechanical There form. is tangential evidence that the Navigators were created by the Emperor, or at the very least their evolution as, as uh, and mutation was guided by the Emperor to be the receiving units that look through the warp. That's the thing with the Astronomicon. You actually have to look into the pure warp to be able to see it. Right. And the the third eye of the navigators allows them to do that without instantly dying and going crazy and flying the ship into a, a planet. Um, so does navigators that mean are- if humans look into the eye of a navigator there and they and that happens to them is there an aspect of the warp in their third eye uh yes there must be it's like that kind of like <laughs> you ain't seen what i've seen man <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you get boss-eyed navigators <laughs> yeah but only regular only regular eyes Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or like a lazy, they're, they're, they've got a, th- a lazy third eye. Yeah, yeah. Is he is he looking at me? Is he lo- no? He's only at his eye. Don't look at third eye. Which eye do I look at? Do I look at? Do the ships have backup navigators? Because like, if a Space Marine chapter was off, and you know, so and so navigator accidentally fell over and cut his head off while shaving then just like poked himself in the third eye ow (laughs) (laughs) just trips over the fork oh shit oh Oh, oh, no (laughs) now we're stranded i was playing third eye conquerors that went wrong Um, (laughs) and do the third eyes do they get floaters like in the regular eyes like we get floaters (laughs) and does that sometimes sometimes veer them off course Yeah, but it's actually a demon slipping them off as they go through. (laughs) (laughs) And do they need like? Do they need glasses? Do some of them need glasses for the third eye because they're slightly not quite focused enough? Uh, Navigator contact lenses. (laughs) Right, we've got like nine hundred fucking questions. I have to answer now. Right, (laughs) okay, we're being silly. The navigators do look through a device. It plugs into their, or it covers their third eye. On a lot of the larger ships, they have something they kind of, like a periscope they look into to be able to see out. Like an eye test machine. Yeah. On some of the smaller ships, they don't need that because they are powerful enough to be able to see through the hull and see the the astronomical unaided. Look, bar no hands. (laughs) No questions. All of the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All of the navigator houses have apprentices of various uh, expertise. It's very rare for there only ever to be a single navigator in a given fleet, as it were. Right. You do need a navigator for every single warp-capable ship to be able to do long-distance kind of warp jumps. What were the other questions? I suspect there is a some sort of equivalent of spec savers for navigators <laughs> who need contact lenses yeah <laughs> uh, just contact lenses it. for their third eye um, <laughs> just in the testing room is the first or second one clearer yeah <laughs> and now, again first and or second second i think 
<laughs> Jesus Christ! I, you I, think you think an astropath in the Astronomicon has a short lifespan? Try being an optometrist for a navigator house. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Boom! That's some occupational hazard, right? <laughs> I'd love to see a navigator with a monocle. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. A a navigator with two monocles. One for his regular and one for... (laughs) Or just he has glasses and he holds it like that. (laughs) He has glasses askew. For listeners, I am holding my glasses askew. It's hilarious, promise you. (laughs) You have to be here, really. (laughs) They have to Um, move his ear halfway up his head just to hold the glasses there. I've got an idea now of a a navigator with glasses askew, with one one eye covered and the other glass, the other lens over the middle of his forehead, and he's completely bald with just a bit of duct tape, just holding the other (laughs) leg of the glass in place. And he's Um, got an eye patch on the normal eye on the other one. Yeah. And one of them is glass, and we'll never know which one because you can't look at the third one. <laughs> um, so it, the navig- each navigator house is associated or has close relationships with various organizations within the Imperium. So you will have navigator houses associated with the Imperial Army or with a certain Space Marine chapter or with the Adeptus Mechanicus that kind of idea, or with a given rogue trader family, that they supply the navigator and several backup navigators, perhaps, to each fleet. You also have navigators associated with the kind of various levels of lord within a given sector or segmentum, allowing for inter-system travel or intersector travel. And then, of course, you have the kind of uh, the tip-top navigators that are associated with the Inquisition or with the black ships, uh, this kind of idea. Um, so you have specialist navigators uh, dealing with the kind of pros and cons of the individual aspects of the Imperium. Mr. Chris? All of these psychotypes, navigators, astropaths, and so on and so on and so on, they're generally outlawed, taken, and used against their will. It sounds pretty horrific to be a psyker. Are there any psychers, any roles in which actually you've got a pretty lush life at any level? Um, no, not really. It's a life of kind of servitude and death. Fine. You can end up, you know, with... Uh, access to uh, more significant resources and perhaps some level of luxury because if you're a psyker, if you're a powerful psyker within the Astra Militarum, you're sort of treated as a lord. You're sort of Mm. like a valuable resource, so you want to keep them happy, but also under constant watch. Right. You know, the kind of Primaris lords, the psyker Primaris lords of the Imperial Army of the Astra Militarum, have bodyguards with them at all times, but in general, that's to protect everyone else from the psyker. Mm. If the moment that there's any sign of possession, possession. or a kind of ca- catastrophic error in their abilities, that yeah, they're put out of their misery instantly. Uh, not for their sake, but for the sake of every other uh, every other person. It should be said though that the navigators, I think. They are not psychers at all. They have no psychic ability. They have abilities that deal with the warp 
and their eye is a kind of weapon that can be used with various psychic effects. And those humans or those mutants, mutated humans, live a, an unbelievable life of luxury uh, when okay. not on the job, as it were. Ben. Right. Um, that, that might actually answer my question, but I was going to say, you, you mentioned that there are specialist navigators for the different types of ships. So on the, the black ships... Is that the ones yeah. that collect the psychers on the yeah. on the black ship lollipop? Um, <laughs> the, um, they, Worst they movie have, I ever watched. <laughs> they have. Is it the Sisters of Silence? Is that what they're called? The yes, pariahs, the Sisters of Silence. Yeah, who yeah. are who are there to nullify the psychic abilities? Would they have an effect on a navigator's ability to guide a ship? No, uh, they—they are kind of for listeners. Uh, the Sisters of Silence are a type of pariah, and that is a human born without a soul, without any kind of presence in the warp at all. They are trained as consummate warriors, and any psyker that comes near them loses their temporarily loses their power, loses their connection to the warp. It severs them. Navigators are not psychers. There's no loss of power, although because pariahs, uh, who can be male and female, but are mostly represented in the lore as female, they make everyone incredibly uncomfortable. Psychers cannot bear to physically touch them. So there is an unsettling feeling. Uh, which may distract a navigator. And the last thing you want when you're traveling through the warp is a distracted navigator. So there are lots of, uh, as the know, old there's layers goes, of distance. Just a sister of science yeah. walking past, flashing her ankle at you. Oh my God, please. <laughs> That's a different kind of distraction, Chris. Let's, let's be fair. Put that ankle away. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> So to, to kind of round out the look at the kind of bureaucratic, we'll look at two further areas uh, briefly. One we've touched on before, the rogue trader. These are the merchant princes of the Imperium. These are the ones that control the trade fleets. These are the ones that are contracted in to occasionally bring tithes to where they need to be, to expand the frontier of humanity, and have the wealth of planets at their or within their reach, within their control. These are these rogue traders are effectively the privateers of the Imperium, and they they act under a different level of authority, a different level of law within uh, the Imperium, and can pretty much as uh, do what they want within very kind of broad guidelines, and thus uh, are able to trade with uh, Xenos uh, civilizations uh, within very strict guidelines. They're able to uh, claim planets in the name of the Imperium. They're able to interact with all of the most secretive aspects of the Imperium of Man and the Adeptus Terror. So the Inquisition frequently use rogue traders to get from A to B if they're not able to commandeer a military transport or if indeed they don't have their own transport, in general, it's the rogue traders that move stuff around the Imperium. They're not a freight service, 
although they do fulfill some aspects. <laughs> That's what they say to me. Well, no, 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 we're not a freight service. We're so much more. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd said that um, one of the first or second episodes, I can't recall which, and originally rogue traders, it was viewed as a way of getting the kind of those who have grown too powerful out of mm. the way of the Adeptus Terra. It, so it was viewed as a sort of golden handshake, but actually a golden middle finger yeah, to yeah. anyone who had exceeded their authority. Uh, that has changed over time to be, you know, the merchant princes of the Imperium of Man. So they all operate under a specific trade warrant. They're all granted exclusive trading rights within a given sector or segmentum. They're all sort of exempt from day-to-day laws. And these fleets are beyond comprehension in terms of both size, but also the sheer variety of transports and battleships that exist within the total ownership of a given rogue trader captain. So much like the navigators, you do have rogue trader families, each of which has wealth that beggars belief and could, you know, buy an entire solar system if they wanted to. But why would they want to? They're able to, you know, make more money trading luxury goods from point A to point B. So each family will have a couple of dozen rogue traders, each of which will have a fleet that has somewhere between 20 to 100 uh, ships with, as I say, a good mix of transports, bulk transports, freighters and uh how would you describe it paramilitary the party vehicles? boat the party boat party boat yeah the venga bus please don't sue us would you ever get more than one rogue trader in a fleet like i know you said that there's a family of them each individual have their own fleet would you ever get like a a, a group of rogue traders you know, traveling together. In general, with ro- these rogue trader houses, each individual rogue trader, so each scion of the house, each descendant of the house, who can draw a direct line to the kind of leading figures, start with their own ship. And that can either be like a, a, a bulk freighter or a destroyer or, or, or. And they're expected to go off and make their fortune within the realm that the trade charter specified over time a successful rogue trader will build up and you know will accrue which is a better word a larger fleet they'll start buying extra freighters and fighters and uh, cruise ships and 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 right up to the kind of when they become supremely powerful each one has effectively a military cruiser and their original ship will still be within the fleet uh, you know, unless it's been sold or destroyed. Sentimental uh, value. Never forget your roots. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That little piece of uh, shit station wagon got me to where I am today. <laughs> so you might find that more junior members of a rogue trader family are assigned to a more established member of the family to sort of learn the ropes or to add additional support or, or, or. Right, so it's, right. it's under very specific circumstances. But in general... Rogue traders operate alone, as in without the support of their extended family. They might have, you know, a hundred odd ships, including, you know, 
with enough firepower to destroy planets, but they are effectively by themselves. They come across as, I don't know, I, I picture them as quite a smug bunch, the road traders. They know they're a bit of a pain in the Imperium's ass, and they've got all the money. They can't really put a foot wrong. It's their business to kind of push the boundaries of the frontier, so they have to bend a few rules, do you know what I mean? They can get away with it. They're quite yeah. cheeky, and they can buy anything <laughs> they want whenever they, whenever they like. But, I mean, you've summed it up. That's exactly what they're like. They are mm. the Errol My flames kind of, guys. of space. They're I was going to say, you would, you would love that, Chris. Think about how much loot is involved in being a oh, rogue trader. Dude. And my business is to find more loot. That You know what I mean? That is like the dream job. Just like Ben, the dream job for you. What was the very first departmental bureaucratic de- department you spoke about at the beginning of the episode? I can see where you're going with this, and you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the sticker, Ben? Ooh, this calls for a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> the departmental de spreadsheet. <laughs> as jokes go that was excel and uh, ah, <laughs> yes nailed it that was good it's good <laughs> emailed it in in these uh, fleets you have every conceivable position within an organization uh, anything you can come up with is in a ro- is in a, a, a very well established rogue trader fleet they have their own military capacity and in fact not only do they have their own men under arms their own armed forces they can also requisition entire regiments of imperial guards and indeed some of them have alliances going back to the founding of the imperium so the end of the horus heresy where they can requisition squads up to a single company of space marines to accompany a fleet into an unknown region so they can pacify a planet, uh, reconnect, you know, potentially reconnect with a lost section of humanity and bring in the light of the Imperium and but also completely monopolize the trade for that planet and the tithing contracts uh, and, and, and. It's like they've kind of, they've put reins on human greed and they're now manipulating the kind of greed of these individuals for the betterment of the Imperium. Well, really, they've put a, a shock collar on uh, <laughs> on greed. <laughs> so when it gets yep. same kind of idea, well. but it's a. It, 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 I'm I'm being facetious. Your analogy is a good one. They they have yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, controlled. In fact, what's actually happened is the Great Crusade has been replaced by the great trade ah, um, that's, that's cool. now who's taking over the expansion of the the fringes of the imperium it's almost exclusively rogue traders you get the occasional crusade that's announced where it's purely militaristic or purely ecclesiarchal or ecclesiastical in its nature as like a religious crusade but in general the ones that operate at the fringes of humanity or the fringes of imperial space are the rogue traders, yeah. That's cool. Are rogue traders unique and intrinsically linked to the Imperium of Man only? Do you get rogue, rogue traders? Or is it really the fact that the Imperium have their own currency and can pay the rogue traders that you only get rogue traders within the kind of environment? Or do you get like alternative versions of, for example, 
You know what I mean? Like they're rogue traders, but they're not part of the Imperium at all. Do you get Eldar rogue traders? No, there are Eldar merchants and Eldar traders, and there's Tau traders. But in general, the concept of the rogue trader, it's a very large umbrella. It covers Mm. complete psychopathic despots who kill everything and sell the remains to the kind of considered political negotiators and traders. Exactly right. I mean, they all have charisma, but it's a very large spectrum. Sure. To paraphrase another, and I have to say, quite excellent podcast, you go from the Conrads to the Manfreds uh, in terms of the the scope of mental capacity. That sounds like Mm -hmm. a bitching podcast. It is is actually Mm -hmm. a bitching podcast. So that's rogue traders. As they say, they operate in general outside the law or the day-to-day law of the Imperium. They can make their own rules, which segues nicely to us discussing the laws of the Imperium. Now, sit back. This is only going to take seven or eight hours. Law number one of 10,762. Thou shall not wink at another man's wife. Are you all right, Chris? What's happened? Whilst opening the back door. <laughs> While opening a tin of tuna. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? Right. <laughs> One shall never run whilst cradling a whole salmon. <laughs> One shall never make euphemisms about back doors. <laughs> <laughs> or Badger Baracus will be on the case. <laughs> so... The law, enforcement of laws within the Imperium is very much, how would you describe it? It follows an American model. So there are state laws insofar as each Imperial governor controls a planet or a system, and they have made their own laws. These laws are constantly updated, but also uh, kind of comically calcified. So it's possible to break a law. In fact, there's no citizen in the Imperium that has lived a completely lawful life. Uh, They will have broken at least a handful of laws probably every day just by living. On some of the planets, the laws predate the Imperium of Man. So you're looking at laws that have existed for at least 30,000 years. So the conditions that required a given law to come into existence have long since expired. It can't possibly happen. Or, you know, you land on a planet, you're colonizing a new world, you have to keep a tight grip on the resources so everyone's allowed two cups of water a day. That law is never repealed, and suddenly it's 10,000 years later, and there's just water all over the planet, you, there's you know, the, someone's crashed a load of ice-based um, comets and asteroids into the planet, but you're still only allowed two cups of water a day. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's the same in our own world because um, you know, apparently, as of 1872, it's illegal to be drunk in a pub in the yeah. UK. So, like, yeah, it's just the the original, the genesis of that law just gets forgotten. And so they just move on, but it never gets repealed. Mm. Yeah. And and can still be ruled out when convenient for the good and the powerful. 
So yeah, it's go it's going to take more than a couple of volumes to cover all the laws of a given planet. But then you have to realize that each planet has its own set of laws. So, you know, a citizen from one planet arrives on another, acts normally, but unwittingly breaks three laws. Are they then prosecuted by that or... Is it simply they didn't know as much because they would have to have read 10,000 volumes of legal documentation to understand how to behave? So you really can't manage the Imperium that way with various kind of uh, systems, laws, as organizations interact. This is where the Lex Imperialis comes into play. These are the federal laws, if you will, of the Imperium. These are the laws effectively handed down by Terra and created in part during the Great Crusade to manage an expanding Imperium. It's the laws that deal with things like taxation, things like harvesting psychers, things like keeping mutants in check. The things that the Imperium itself, and arguably that the Emperor himself decreed, this is what's being managed and enforced through the Lex Imperialis. The enforcing agents of this law, of this body of law, are the Adeptus Arbites, or as I used to call them, the Arbites, because that's how it's fucking spelt. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> How's it pronounced? Arbites. Arbites. Wow. Yeah, I, I, everyone was shocked when it came out in a video from Games Workshop, the RBTs. <laughs> so yes, these are the Judge Dreads of the galaxy. These are, yeah, in terms so of cool. the Lex Imperialis, of the Imperium's laws that apply equally to every planet in existence, they are judge, jury, and executioner. A single RBT can walk into the governor's palace and put a bolt round right between his eyes if he breaks a law. Now, obviously, given that everyone breaks laws all the time, it would be, you know, an imperium of the dead. So there's politics, there's local politics, system politics, segmentum politics that come into play. But as I say, in general, the the kind of judge dreads, the arbites of the Imperium, deal only with the breaches of Imperial law. And that has to do with tithes, psychers, heresy, the demonic, although in general that's dealt with by the uh, Inquisition, and any kind of trade, what's referred to as the cold trade, which is the trade in alien artifacts, in Xenos artifacts, is uh, you know brutally put down by the the judges and justicars of the uh, Adeptus Arbites. They sound quite secret policey, quite cloak and daggery. Not like kind of subterfuge, but like yeah, yeah immovable in their role. I'm just picturing Sylvester Stallone as a judge, <laughs> yeah. basically. I mean, in general, what you find is that on every planet, there will be several precincts of these these guys, these RBCs, and each precinct is a fortress, mm. incredibly well-armed, 
incredibly uh, tough to, if you'll excuse the word, penetrate, and will be positioned in such a way as to be seen by seen through the window by the great and the powerful. They'll be able to see the imperial law's presence and understand why they're there, which is to actually oversee and enforce the laws of the imperium as you know uh, and as terra's presence on planets that are governed in their name uh, mm. you'll also see that they're not that the fortresses are not built a million miles away from the astropaths that are sent from terra to serve the planetary governors so it's very much uh, a show of power these yeah. men and women, mm. uh, they don't fuck around. Each one of them would not be out of place on a battlefield. These are grizzled veterans of investigations and operations. They raid chaos cults and mutant organizations. And in the event of planetary uprisings, the kind of loyalist forces and in general the agents of the Imperium, so the astropaths and what have you, will make a beeline straight for an Arbites precinct where they can be protected until the Imperium sends relief forces. But yeah, any kind of sense of heresy, any rebellion against the Imperium, this is a thing that's not really covered very much, is that there's any kind of uprising in a planet is always portrayed as either being from a gene stealer cult, which is this kind of biological invasion and manipulation, or a chaos uprising. Very rarely is it described that a, a planet just says, you know what, these tithes are not good enough. These tithes that you're expecting us to pay can't be managed. We've had a bad, you know, there was a fire. In, in the storage rooms we, we only have two of the 10 years that we owe you in such cases like that it is the arbites under the instruction of the adeptus terra uh, and specifically the administratum the ones that are dealing with taxes they would be instructed to go and arrest the planetary governor and in some cases summarily execute him or her because of failure to keep to the agreement that was made in the emperor's name so they are the enforcers of the Imperium on the front line, even before military forces arrive. These are the ones that are right there on every planet throughout the galaxy. I guess they've got no sense of humour. <laughs> oh, none. None at all. Anytime mm. they're portrayed in a lot, especially like in, um, in the Eisenhorn novels. Yeah, absolute joyless son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know a loyal servant of the Imperium and dedicated to the the Lex Imperialis, the laws of the Imperium. Would their numbers be comprised of locals? Like, were these Arbites precincts established when, say, a planet was brought into compliance? Like, were they established early on? And is it is it the local populace that makes up their numbers? Or are they, you know, are they imported from the heart of the Imperium elsewhere? A lot of the agents of the Imperium uh, come from a scholastic system called the oh, school, uh, is it Scholastica? The Scholastica Pregium, which is the orphanages of the Imperium. So what happens is they're either handed over to 
the kind of drill abbots, the instructors of the the schooler, the scholar, um, or these are the children of high lords, uh, the bastard children of high lords, the illegitimate children, or they're the children of naval officers who simply are constantly on patrol, and so there's no time to raise children. So what you find is uh, that these are a cross between a boarding school uh, and an SAS-level training regimen that lasts somewhere like 10 to 12 years. At the end, of you see, you find a lot of the kind of mundane inquisitors come out of such institutions. These are ones without psychic powers. A lot of the Jesus. commissars who are the enforcers of the military laws of the Imperium who are attached to the uh, Imperial Guard regiments, the Astra Militarum, but also almost exclusively all of the Arbites, all of the federalized Imperial law enforcers come from these orphanages, come from these, um, how would you say, orphanage barracks almost, really. And <laughs> Armed to the are... teeth and then, far, and then pushed out into the world to deal with their abandonment issues. That sounds like a fucking <laughs> recipe yeah. for um, absolute chaos. They're, they're, on a given planet, none of the Imperial's law enforcement capacity comes from that planet. How could it? It could not be impartial. It could not be de as deadly as it needs to be. Right, right, mm. right, right, right. So that's really, we've dealt with the administration of the Imperium, the communication of the Imperium, <laughs> the capacity for trade, the uh, mechanism by which warp travel is possible, uh, allowing that trade and military transports and so forth, and how laws are enforced or who enforces the law. Each one of these aspects, we could handily do five or six episodes on. But in terms of a summary of the Imperium, that is, in quotes, the bureaucracy. And I am now drawing a veil. <laughs> the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Imperium. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So this is really the first non-narrative episode we've had in a, in a while. Thoughts? Yeah. So the, what you've just explained, that was really, is is that where the Imperium of Man is now, 10,000 years after yes. the, yep. uh, not the death, the ascension, wasn't it? That's what we call it. The ascension. The ascension. The the ascension. Yeah. That is the current state yeah. of the Imperium. That is the current bureaucracy of the Imperium, yeah. All yeah. all under, as as I said, I hope I mentioned, all under the 12 High Lords of Terra who act on behalf of the emperor or in the emperor's name. Um, I think it really it, it really brings into very clear focus how that kind of stalemate is well how it how it contributes to the stalemate that humanity find them, finds themselves in because it's just so big it's collapsing under its own administrative weight like it just can't it, it takes so much effort exactly right. to manage yeah. the fucking thing. Uh, how could they possibly yeah, I wouldn't say it's collapsing. defend it? It's just stuck where it is. It is of its own hmm. kind of doing. It has just become stuck in a rut. Like you said, there are so many cogs of so many sizes in so many areas I mean, you talk about companies being like oil tankers and can't turn quick enough. This is like 
was a whole galaxy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, you're getting the idea of too big to fail. Well, I mean, it's so big, it is failing, but one aspect of the Imperium doesn't know another aspect is failing until 200 years after it's failed. Yeah. Yes. You know? yeah. And there's, yeah. you've got to bear in mind as well is that what we've just described there is in the half of the Imperium where Terra is, that's it mm. operating normally. That's it operating, in quotes, efficiently, as intended. In the Dark Imperium, on the other side of the Great Rift, is fucking pandemonium. Mm. And they're having a great time. And they're having a great time, yeah. <laughs> no one's talking it's to like each attendance other. Attendance at Flume Parks Email. is through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> no one's talking to each other. Emails aren't getting through. No one's checked their yeah. HTTP IP settings. It's fucking no. nightmare. Like, no, man. But they're yeah. having a whale of a time. <laughs> a whale of a time. No yeah. forms to fill out, no spreadsheets <laughs> to complete. Yeah, exactly. When I was looking at the those laws there, one of them's popped up saying, according to the Libraries Offence Act of 1898, the act of gambling in British libraries is prohibited. Do you think the RBTs <laughs> would uh, they crack down on that, wouldn't they? <laughs> this 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 illegal library-based gambling ring. We're going to shut this down. <laughs> a library-based gambling ring. <laughs> <laughs> Two characters in the universe of 40k that you would least like to go to the pub with. There was the Judge Dread RBT's characters. No sense of humour. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Can't yeah. take a joke yeah. for so long. And who was the other guy who speaks in riddles? Or the other person? The astropaths. The astropaths. Those two in the same yeah. room. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I tell you what, if we get to cover the uh, the Arbites in any kind of greater detail, uh, we'll talk about my favourite sin, in quotes, uh, is the sin of uh, abstractionism, where the laws of the Imperium are so convoluted that you can pretty much justify anything. But just going to great lengths to abstract something from the laws is viewed as a sin by the the fellow Amazing. judges and can get you, you know, executed or thrown in jail uh, or thrown onto a penal colony. Yeah, the Arbites sounds like a delicious wheat-based cereal, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nestle Arbites. <laughs> it, it, it also sounds like a type of psoriasis <laughs> <laughs> right shall I wrap up Duh. yeah why not or is that going to be a sin <laughs> like it's do it specifically <laughs> right here's my abstract roundup all right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore 40k and sign up today for as little as £3. This will give you access to our Discord server so you can come and tell us exactly what you think of Kral and his face. We'll be back again soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, goodbye. Farewell, farewell, bye-bye. Obey all the laws, even the ones you don't know. I love you. Thank you.